My name is Scott Warner. I'm president of the Culinary Historians of Chicago, and welcome to our program tonight. Uh, we do have an award-winning speaker for us tonight, somebody who's talked to our group over the over the last 20 years. I, I don't know if this is his third or fourth time, but Steve Delinsky, our distinguished speaker, has won 13 James Beard Awards for his TV, radio, and podcast work. He is currently the food reporter at NBC TV in Chicago, where his food guy reports air every Thursday night at 10 p.m. And for 17 years, Steve served as the Hungry Hound uh, reporter uh, covering a range of food topics on, on, at ABC. Not only did he produce, or WLS, not only did he produce and report two stories each week, he also shot and edited them uh, Steve is also the producer and host of Pizza City, a bi-monthly podcast featuring some of the greatest pizza makers in the nation, and was previously co-creator and co-host of the Feed podcast with uh, Chicago's Rick Bayless, and, he, and that show garnered a James Beard Award in 2015 for Best Podcast. Um, he has also written food and travel stories for the travel sections of the Chicago Tribune, Steve is the author of Pizza City USA, 101 Reasons Why Chicago is America's Greatest Pizza Town. That's from Northwestern University Press. And in order to write that book, he visited 185 places in Chicagoland over the course of six solid months of eating. His Pizza City USA tours began in May of 2018. Steve operates four tours throughout the city, each one giving guests a chance to sample four styles of pizza in three hours. And I have taken his Steve's tour with, and he conducted it himself. Uh, it's, it's a mouthful, it's wonderful. And there is one bus tour uh, usually led by Steve and three, I'm sorry, my eyes are giving out right now, three walking tours every weekend. More info can be had on that at pizzacityusa.com. His second book, which he's, he's, he's here tonight to talk about, uh, and his other book too, is The Ultimate Chicago Pizza Guide, A History of Squares and Slices in the Windy City. Uh, I have a, a personal background going back with Steve. I met him about 26 years ago when he uh, was a kid basically covering a food reporting. He was a food reporter for CLTV, uh, the, a little local, our little local cable station. And he came to cover one of our events. He was dressed in blue jeans then. And since then, uh, I've watched him grow. I used to be the Chicago correspondent for the James Beard Foundation. And I was in New York a couple of times. And I watched Steve take off, take several James Beard Awards home the, the several times that I was at the James Beard Awards. I even offered to help him carry them because his arms were full. So uh, anyway, with, with that in mind, uh, welcome our award-winning pizza guy, Steve Delinsky. Steve, take, take over now. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You can all hear me. I'm not on mute, I hope. Okay. Uh, thank you, Catherine. And thank you, Scott. I should also say konnichiwa to our listeners and viewers in Japan. Very impressive, Elizabeth, that you're up uh, watching us. So hope you're having a nice bowl of um, buckwheat soba, perhaps. Um, so we're going to talk about pizza. And as some of you know, because I had a book come out three years ago that Scott mentioned, pizza's kind of been my thing the last couple of years. And I 
I'm not a native born and bred Chicagoan. I'm actually from Minnesota. But when I moved here in 93, and I consider myself a Chicagoan because of that, I really didn't know much about the pizza except for, you know, the fact that there's this deep dish pizza, right? That a lot of people from outside of Chicago just know about deep dish. And I I didn't really dig that deep, I guess. I knew about Lou Malnati's. I knew about Giordano's. I didn't know there was a difference. Um, and I never really paid that much attention to it. Um, but a couple of years ago, and I've been a food reporter in Chicago since 95 exclusively. So I had been covering food and pizza, of course, as part of that in Chicago. And um, a couple of years ago, I saw this listicle online of the seven, the quote unquote, seven hottest pizza places in Chicago. And I really took issue with it because I knew that the writer had, had not done the legwork, had not been boots on the ground, had not actually tasted those pizzas. It was a lot of hearsay and probably hype. And so I thought at the time, was anybody actually ever done a deep dive on pizza? Uh, surprisingly, no. Uh, the late Pat Bruno from the Sun-Times had written a book about pizza, which was mostly recipes. Uh, former editors from Chicago Magazine, Jeff Ruby and Penny Pollock, wrote a book called Everybody Loves Pizza, which also delved into more of the history, uh, but didn't quite get as deep as I wanted to. And so I had done deep dives on my personal website on things like Vietnamese pho, and uh, uh, Italian beef sandwiches, and in both cases, visited about 30-ish places. And I thought for pizza, well, I might have to go to 40 or 50 places to really, to really have a good sort of um, a sample size. So I just decided I'm going to set out and do it. And I started going, and everything was the same order, half sausage, half pepperoni. And I would go and eat it in the building or eat it in my car. I wouldn't take it home so I could have it quite fresh. And I would kind of work my way around Chicagoland like Sherman moving through Atlanta. So I'm gonna tackle Oak Park and then I'll go to Elmhurst and then I'll go to Glen Ellen and then I'll go to Naperville and so on. And uh, this became this crazy personal quest. I was going to three or four pizza places a day, uh, always a minimum of two bites, you know, one from the tip and one from the heel. Um, and if I didn't care for it, then I was done with it. Brought a lot of pizza home to my teenage kids uh, who were more than happy to finish off the results. And um, I ended up going because people would invariably chime in and they'd say, hey, if you're going to do a pizza crawl in Chicago, you must go to Pudgy's and Hegwish. You must go to Phil's in Oaklawn. You must go to Barnaby's in Northbrook and on and on. So I chased a lot of those um, dead ends in many cases. And what I ended up doing was 76 visits for my first round in about three months. And of those 76, about 50, 51 were recommendable. What I did was rank them, you know, top five in different categories and sort of put it out on my website to just sort of leave it and sort of see what happens and did some stories for ABC7. Well, the web traffic was through the roof. Uh, my, my web traffic uh, increased by 10 times normal traffic because people from all over the country were like, hey, I used to live in Chicago. I went to college there. I grew up there. Now I live in Arizona. There's no good pizza out here. And so we had all these people chiming in about pizza. So then I pitched the idea as a book to Northwestern University Press. And they said, yes, but we want more than 51 recommendable. Could you do like 100 or 101? So to get to that kind of a number that you recommend meant tasting 185 pizzas around the region. And so that first book is really kind of a looking at Chicago land from 35,000 feet. This is the scenario. This is what we've got. We've got these 10 different styles of pizza, first of all. We've got deep dish, we've got stuffed, which I'll talk about in a second, tavern style thin, which is the most ubiquitous, 
Detroit, Sicilian, Neapolitan, artisan, uh, Roman, uh, New York style slices. So lots of different styles in Chicago. Uh, secondly, I found that deep dish is not the most popular thing among locals. It's really tavern style thin, the square cut thin and crispy pizza you see everywhere. The people from Chicago would say the pizza they grew up eating. Um, but I did find things like I came up with a fake term I call pig syndrome, P-I-G-U-E, which stands for pizza I grew up eating syndrome, which certainly if you know anybody from Homewood or Flossmore, it swears by Aurelio's or anybody from Elmwood Park swears by Armand's and on and on it goes in Chicagoland. And so pig syndrome is real. Uh, but coming from Minnesota, I don't have those built in biases. I don't have these wonderful memories of of having a tavern style thin from Pat's as a kid because I grew up in St. Cloud where we had Shakey's Pizza, which incidentally came from Sacramento in 1954. Um, so I grew up on that thin pizza. I was not an expert in Chicago. So I came here with open eyes, open stomach. Nobody got a free pass. There were no sacred cows. And this is what I feel gives my sort of lineup and rundown and sample size more honesty in that I'm not clouded by these childhood memories. So let's fast forward now during the pandemic. We have a lot of places pivoting to pizza. And I realize certainly I missed places from the first book, but also a lot of places are opening that I had never seen coming. Like a Michelin starred chef from Oriole decides to start making Sicilian slices in Ukrainian village called Pizza Friendly Pizza. And it's suddenly the, the best Sicilian style pizza place we have in the city of Chicago because I was kind of the matchmaker. I put him in touch with a guy in Las Vegas who's kind of the, the major domo of uh, Sicilian pizzas in America. And he worked with him on a recipe. And so now he's got this five day fermented crust, which is really remarkable. And so all these places I felt needed to be included in this next book. And I, I actually, um, I focus more on the city because I felt like if you were going to come to Chicago for three or four days, you're not going to go to Warrenville and Naperville you know, in the suburbs. You're really going to maybe focus in Chicago with a couple of suburban all-stars in case you visit somebody in the suburbs. So there's one chapter called Suburban Stars. The rest is really Chicago city proper. And there are 50 more places in this book than the previous book, still about 102 overall. But now we've got recipes. Now we've got a gluten-free chapter. Now we've got recommendations on pairing local beer with pizza because I employed uh, Josh Noel, the local beer writer from the Chicago Tribune, to write a chapter about that. Uh, the background story of the pizza puff for all of you pizza geeks who really care about the origin story of the pizza puff. That's a real classic in a Chicago hot dog joint. That's all in here as well. Um, but I've got a little bit of a presentation I want to take you through kind of a, a deck, if you will. And I'm going to... So ultimate pizzas in the ultimate pizza city. Um, and if my friends from New York give me a hard time about this because they say, how could you possibly make that claim, Steve? Because I feel like Chicago has a deeper bench, frankly, in terms of styles. Um, I've been to New York many times. In fact, before the first book came out, I felt that I had to really tackle and understand New York City. And so I asked three writer friends of mine to give me their must visit list. They came back with 55 places. I'd only been to three of them previously. So I planned four trips to New York City over the course of four or five months, and I checked off about 13 or 14 each visit. So I've been to about 70 places now in New York City. And I'll tell you, it's really a five-style town. It's the New York Slice. It's the Square, the Sicilian. A grandma style, which is a shorter, tighter, crispier Sicilian. Uh, artisan, which is a longer fermentation, kind of a chef's approach to pizza. Uh, Neapolitan, which is that thinner, wetter, high heat quick bake pizza. Um, 
And that is about it. They don't really have Detroit. They've got one Detroit place, two Roman places. There is one place in all of New York that does a Chicago deep dish and not very well. Uh, nobody does stuffed. Uh, one or two places do a tavern style, Midwest style. So really, Chicago has all those in spades. And so that's kind of why I make this claim. So all right, what is Chicago style pizza? Let's talk about this for a second. Um, I think there are three waves of pizza in Chicago. And I know some of you listened to Peter Regas's uh, presentation a few months ago. I actually interviewed him for the book as well and quoted him in this new book because he is an invaluable resource in terms of Chicago pizza and New York pizza history. But the three waves I identified, one was post-war. And this is where, you know, young men would come back from World War II. Uh, they would go into business with their families or their in-laws like uh, Home Run Inn. You know, it was a tavern in the 20s or 30s, became a, an official pizzeria in 47 in the shadow of Comiskey Park. Uh, Vito and Nick's was a tavern in the 1920s, uh, became a pizzeria in the 40s. And so you see these this first wave happening, this tavern thin pizza, because, uh, you know, we had all these bars in Chicagoland. Uh, you'd stop at the neighborhood bar on your way home from work, get a beer. Bartenders realized they'd get you to drink more beers if they gave you something salty to eat. This is way before the ground round started instituting their salted in the shell peanuts that you'd throw on the floor like we had in St. Cloud. And so they would make these thin pizzas, cut them into squares, pass them around the bar. You could fit a square on a cocktail napkin. So this is why we say tavern style, because these pizzas were free. They were passed around the bar, put a square on the cocktail napkin, have two squares, two beers, go home and have dinner with your family. This is how tavern style started in Chicago. Um, then in the 70s, we have this incredible wave of deep dish. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, also, stuffed begins in the early 70s. And then in the 20 teens, you have this artisan, these chefs who decided they're going to get out of making you know sous vide pork belly and skate wing uh, with brown butter. And they're going to start making pizzas because they miss pizzas as a kid. And they haven't had a great pizza since they visited that place in Brooklyn that one time. So these are these three waves that happen. Um, in Chicago, when we say Chicago style, you need to clarify, what are you talking about? You're talking about tavern, you're talking about deep dish, you're talking about stuffed because they're all Chicago styles. Um, and we could argue that they're all, you know, one is more popular than the other. I would say stuffed and deep are popular with tourists and visitors and out of towners and tavern is the most popular among locals born and bred here. Uh, but I really do think we have 10 styles in the second city that I, I re referenced earlier, um, not just the ones here, but Roman, Detroit, um, artisan, etc. Okay, so the first wave, see these old pictures. I also was able to get some black and white for this new book, which I was really excited about, um, especially from Home Run Inn. And you see they were called the Pizza King. They got their name, by the way, because allegedly there's a park across the street on 31st Street. And uh, someone hit a home run from the baseball field and it went through the window, thus the name uh, Home Run Inn. And so, as I mentioned, boys coming back from the war, existing taverns, officially putting pizzas on the menu, um, no longer just being like a snack you'd have before, before dinner. And it was just square cut for convenience. But this really evolves into the main course because New York pizza is a really a, a portable experience. It is intended to be on the go, consumed on the go. Uh, you have uh, you have it on a paper plate. You fold it. You know, you walk. You go to the train, and you're done. Uh, in the Midwest, we we gather around a table. We are sitting inside half the year, right? 
So even though you're having a square cut pie, you're not going to have just one square. You're going to have a couple of squares, frankly. Um, and you can certainly have a family of four could polish off one large pie, no problem. Um, and who, you know, we, we stop, we lose count of how many squares we eat at some point. So this is where uh, Peter Regas really informed uh, my understanding of deep dish. I was telling the story wrong for a couple of years until Peter came out and did the research. But you've got Ike Sewell and Rick Ricardo here on the bottom right. Um, and you've got Adolfo Malnati, who went by Rudy, and then his son, Lou Malnati, standing there on the left. Um, the, the space on the corner of Ohio and Wabash, still there, was called the Pelican Club in the early 40s. And they had pizzas on the menu. Uh, the two pizzas you could get were a sausage and cheese or an anchovy and sauce, which I find very interesting. And the original Spinchone. And they had these pans that Rick Ricardo inherited. Rick Ricardo and his family lived upstairs. Rick uh, was kind of a bon vivant. Uh, Cup would write about his exploits, whatever he was doing. He'd have artists, musicians come through his, his tavern. Um, and so he was living upstairs with his family. He wanted to open this bar downstairs. Um, and call it the pizzeria or Ricardo's. It, it had various names. But in 1942, when he was planning this, it was the war and you could not get uh, liquor reliably. So he struck kind of a devil's bargain with Ike Sewell, uh, the, the bald gentleman there, who worked for Fleischmann's Liquors. And as you probably know, if you work for a liquor company, you can't also own a bar. Is that separation of church and state? And so Sewell said, hey, I'll sell you the liquor, but you're going to put my wife on the deed to the business. And so Florence Davis becomes a part owner of this business, a 50-50 owner, frankly. Um, notice uh, not Florence Sewell, but Florence Davis, so as not to attract attention. Um, so they open the, the, they open the Ricard Ricardo's, become the pizzeria in 1943, in February of 43. Uh, they are charging for this pizza. It's not a freebie. It's served in a pan, not as high as the pans we see today. The middle of the pizza is quite short, maybe five-eighths of an inch. The edges are pressed up along the side, though. And the pictures that I've seen, this is a relatively thin pizza. The closest I can find that is currently in existence would be a Mai Pai. If you've ever been to Mai Pai in Bucktown, that's a 50-year-old recipe. Larry Aronson definitely was borrowing from the original Unos and Dues back in the day. That inspired him. That's kind of the, the thickness of the original deep dish pizza. So... Uh, so meanwhile, Lou Malnati is managing this business. And let's fast forward a couple of years, 1954, Ricardo dies suddenly at quite an early age. And there's a little bit of tussling over the ownership rights. His estate gets about $3,000 and half that year's profits. But the entire business then reverts to Sewell's wife, which becomes like Sewell's property. And so he now owns Pizzeria Uno. A year later, he opens up Pizzeria Due just down the street and decides at that point to name the pizzeria at the corner of Wabash and Ohio, Pizzeria Uno, since that was their first location. So now in 55, we have two places doing this deep dish style of pizza, Uno and Due, with Lou Malnati and occasionally his father, but not that often, Adolfo, managing the business. Um, so here we talk about, they make he, Ricardo made the deal with Ike Sewell. Um, the Malnati's are essentially running these businesses. Mark Malnati, Lou's son, who's the president of the of Lou Malnati's now, told me that apparently from what he had heard, Sewell just came into the business to drink with his friends. He wasn't really that involved in creating anything. But if you go to Pizzeria Uno today, you'll see a plaque outside 
that says this is where Ike Sewell created deep dish pizza in 1943. That is not true. That is that is incorrect. Um, I saw the same kind of sign in New York over the weekend. I went to Lombardi's and it says this was America's first pizzeria. And as we all know from watching Peter's presentation, that was not true either. So we're trying to debunk these myths and trying to overturn these things, because again, if you're the survivor, you control the narrative. And so in this case, clearly Ike Sewell controls the narrative. Um, and uh, Lou Malnati eventually comes to Ike Sewell, who's the owner of these, both these businesses, and asks for an ownership stake or asks for a plan to take, take over. And Sewell rebuffs him. And Mark Malnati said, maybe he didn't think my dad was bankable. But he ends up selling the business years later to a Boston-based Kentucky Fried Chicken franchisee. And Uno's and Dues has been a Boston-based company ever since the 80s. So it has not been a Chicago company for many, many years. Um, Lou ends up taking a year off. And then in 1971, uh, opens up Lou Malnati's in Lincolnwood. Um, the other part of this equation is Alice May Redmond, uh, African-American chef who was working at Uno's and Dues. She ends up getting poached by a couple of cab drivers, um, one of them named Sam Bartoli, and they are opening a place called Gino's East in 1966. Uh, Lou Malnati actually busts her and catches her moonlighting and says, you got to make a choice, you know, either Douay's or this new place. She goes to this new place, but she cannot get the dough to pan out fast enough into these pans uh, because of the gluten structure. And so she thinks of this apparently a, a sort of biscuit short dough recipe from her days as a child in Mississippi, where they likely used lard. In Chicago, it's more likely you're going to use oil. And so we start seeing in the mid-60s the addition of oil in this deep dish dough. And so the pizzas start getting a little bit thicker and a little bit heavier. Um, but they're much easier to press out in the pan. Um, you don't have to wait for the, the gluten to relax all day long. Uh, deep dish architecture, this is what is different from the stuffed pie. So the bottom crust, uh, and you'll see on the upper left corner there, it is literally pressed out pretty thin on the side walls. This is how they do it at Lou Malnati's, at Bartoli's, at Mai Pai. Then you've got slices of mozzarella. This is to protect that bottom dough from the sauce. Sauce is the enemy of crust. It will make it soggy um, and chewy and gummy. Then your toppings, typically in Chicago, pinched and pressed raw bulk sausage, that has a fair amount of fennel and fat in it. That fat will gloriously melt into the pie as it bakes for 35 to 40 minutes. And then your chunky reduced sauce. Uh, everybody's got a little bit different recipe here, but it, it is quite reduced and thick. And then a little bit of Pecorino Romano, some dried oregano, and there you go, bacon for 30 to 40 minutes. The key though is that bottom crust has been pr protected from slices of mozzarella. Now you have the second wave happening in the 70s. So 71, I mentioned Lou Malnati quits, or sorry, in 70, he quits Uno's and Dues, decides to do it himself. He's going to go into business for himself. Interestingly, on, on St. Patrick's Day, 1971, he opens in Lincolnwood, which was then a predominantly Jewish neighborhood on the North Shore, um, serving a style of pizza no one had really heard of unless they'd been downtown a lot to, to take tourists or take visitors because deep dish was not an established style in 71 at all. It was still kind of an outlier. So Lou Malnati's is the first to do this in, on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, by the way, Cadillac crashed through the front wall of the business. Uh, a woman broke her arm, went to the hospital. Lou knew a guy, a masonry guy. They patched up the wall. They opened up on day two. And uh, the rest is history, as they say, because there was a line down the block. Lou was a master marketer. 
And um, he gets going to, with a great start in early 71. Later that summer, Larry Aronson opens up My Pie on Loyola's campus on the North Shore because he loved Uno's and Dewey's as a kid, but it didn't sit well with his stomach. So he reformulates the recipe a bit, mainly the sauce. And um, Pequot's also opens that year, the late Burt Katz does this deep pan style pizza. Why do I say pan and not deep dish? Because it doesn't have that upper raised wall along the inner wall of the pan. The dough is simply pressed to the edges of the pan and then cheese is placed on top of it all the way to the edge, kind of like they do in Detroit. And then the, as the dough shrinks a little bit as it bakes, the cheese creeps down the sides and gets caramelized. You get that Maillard reaction and it turns that golden dark color and it turns into kind of a crispy cheese frico, as it's called. Um, and then you also have a place called Guys on the northwest side of the city, uh, West Armitage, uh, an immigrant named Rocco Palese. All his friends are telling him to open up a deep dish place, to, to change it to deep dish from thin, because all these other places seem to have success. And Rocco says, no, I want to do things my own way. And he thinks about this pizza rustica, this Easter pie from the old country, which has a second layer of dough across the top. It's a sealed pie. He does that with pizza. He does a shredded mozzarella instead of slices. He does the toppings. And then he puts a second layer of dough across the top of the pan and then covers that with a lake of tomato sauce. We call it sort of a lake como of tomato sauce. The sauce is segregated from the ingredients and the cheese, so they don't really get a chance to marry, which I think is one fatal flaw. The second fatal flaw is that this top layer of dough sits between sauce and cheese and thus turns into kind of a noodle. It boils. It doesn't really bake and get firm like a bottom crust would. And so this is where stuffed and deep diverge. And in the book, I have this beautiful family tree of pizza styles, and I show clearly that stuffed is a subcategory of deep. They're made in deep pans, but the architecture is completely different. So it is not Giordano's is not deep dish. Giordano's is stuffed pie. And I've called the company a couple times on it on Twitter. They are really good about, they say Chicago stuffed pizza on their facade, but a lot of times on their menus, they'll say Chicago's famous deep dish. And so I really feel like that confuses people. Uh, by the way, 1976, I won't labor the, this too much, but the Pizza Puff is created. Uh, it's a great story. It's in the book. Um, immigrants who had come here in the early 1900s and they have a tamale company called the Illinois Tamale Company or Il Taco was the company name later. And the hot dog joints in Chicago in the 70s, as you can imagine, are getting crushed by all these deep dish places opening up. And they ask their tamale company, hey, could you please give us something that's pizza-ish that we can compete against the pizzerias? And they come up with basically a tortilla filled with pizza ingredients that you can drop in a deep fryer instead of French fries. Thus, the pizza puff is born, and they're now in 40 states around the country, but most Chicago hot dog joints have a pizza puff on their menu. Okay, 71, kind of an important year because you have deep and stuffed happening, which is really confusing for people. So Guy's becomes Nancy's because it's an ode to Rocco Palazzi's wife, Nancy Annunziata. And um, the thing that really happens that's important that gets lost a lot, and I, I got to the bottom of this story finally in the book, I found one of my old colleagues from ABC7, um, one of our producers, Vicky Giamona, was a, uh, a food critic for the Suburban Sun-Times in 71. And uh, she is retired and she's in South Carolina now, but I tracked her down. And she remembers very clearly what was going on in 71. And she had been to 
guys and Nancy's and said this pizza was really delightful. It was sort of like lasagna. She's like, you know, you would never eat a sheet pan of lasagna, right? You'd have one slice and you're good. And it's kind of like with stuffed pizza, you'd have one slice and you're good. Uh, but she said two of these employees that were from Argentina said they were going to go back to Argentina. Um, they were happy that they had worked this, you worked at Nancy's for a while and they were going to, they said goodbye. Um, and then a couple of years later, 73, 74, must've been 74, excuse me. Um, one of the meat and cheese vendors for Nancy's tells Rocco Palese that his two former employees are now down on the South side in Marquette park doing the same exact type of pizza. And they're calling themselves Giordano's. So you can imagine, and this is, you know, no, there was no non-compete sign. There was no NDA. There was no, you know, I'm sure there were no attorneys involved at that point. And um, Giordano's really sort of, I don't say Bigfoots, but definitely takes the over the narrative. Um, Rocco makes some bad business decisions, kind of gets sidestepped and sideswiped. And Giordano's gets a lot of investment. Uh, and they ended up uh, declaring bankruptcy about 11 years ago. Um from one of their from one of their owners, they ended up getting bought in bankruptcy court from a Chicago-based uh, venture capitalist firm, which now has the capital and the wherewithal to expand Giordano's. And so, you know, deep down, part of me I don't say dies a little bit, but feels a little bit bad that people in Indianapolis and Tampa and where have wherever in America see Giordano's as Chicago-style pizza. And this is where we have a lot of confusion and why a lot of people around the country sort of mock Chicago as this above ground outdoor pool or the tomato soup in a bread bowl. I mean, you can see the picture there. It is quite large uh, with the two layers of dough and the sauce on top. But um, this has its own tortured past. Now, the third wave happens in the 20 teens. You see chefs shifting to pizza. Um, they're tired of trying to make their way. It's too expensive. You know, the margins are brutal in, in restaurants. And so pizza is just, it makes a lot of sense and it gets turbocharged once the pandemic comes around because you need something that's portable, that's affordable, that's familiar, that you can make money on and the margins are still pretty good. And so you're finding bakers are bringing their expertise to the equation. Great example is um, uh, Middlebrow Bungalow in Logan Square, which is also in the book. Uh, they, they hire a baker from the mill in San Francisco, which has an unbelievable reputation much like Tartine does for baking prowess. And uh, Jess Galley sort of takes over the bread program, but also the pizza program. And suddenly, you know, right out of the gate, they're making these beautiful artisan pies with two to three day fermentation, high hydration, 70% hydration, um, artisan grains, local grains, regional grains, milled nearby, organic grains in many cases. Um, it's really taking a baker's approach to pizza. And consumers also want options. You know, frankly, uh, how many times can you have a deep dish pizza? How many times can you have a tavern style pizza? You live here. So you see three different examples here. Left to right, you've got a, a thin pizza. Now, not a Chicago thin, but a, just a standard thin pizza from crushed in um, sort of uh, Lincoln Square-ish over on Montrose and Ashland. A little bit thicker than a, than a tavern thin, but it's got that beautiful burnished brown heel that's got a little bit of caramelization and sort of Maillard reaction going on the outside. In the middle, you've got that beautiful five-day ferment uh, Sicilian from Pizza Friendly Pizza in Ukrainian Village. And on the right side, you've got a Roman Altaglio, which means by the cut. You cut it to order, and then they weigh it. Uh, you pay by the pound. At Bonchi, which started in Rome as the Pizzarium, 
and came to Chicago under a different LLC. Uh, but the first Bonchi outside of Rome was here in Chicago in the West Loop. And that also is done in a rectangular pan, fermented 36 to 72 hours uh, with toppings from octopus to anduja to uh, fresh ricotta and lemon zest and zucchini and all kinds of great stuff. So this third way, we see a lot of creativity, but I really want to talk about these 10 styles. Um, I, I think that uh, this is really Chicago. When someone says Chicago style pizza, that's what I'm thinking. of. This is the image in my head, not necessarily the crimped edges that they, that you see at Barnaby's, which this is from Barnaby's. Um, and of course it's half sausage, half pepperoni, but um, nonetheless, a square cut, thin, crispy pie. Uh, they call this Chicago thin. They call it a bar pie, the party cut, what have you. But that's the main one. Here's the deep dish. Now you see on the left, Lou Malnati's. Again, it ain't a mile high, right? It's about maybe an inch, just under an inch in the middle, a little bit higher on the border, on the perimeter. But even then, it's, it's not all the way up to the edge of the pie, which a, a stuffed pizza certainly would because you'd have that second layer of dough sheeted right over the top of that pan. On the right side, kind of interesting story. This is from a place called Lefties. Uh, they started, you might've heard of Burt's. So Burt Katz had Pequod's, right? And then he, he sold Pequod's. And then again, there must not have been a, a non-compete because it, uh, three blocks away, he opened up Burt's Pizza three years later. And when he, just before he passed away, he sold Burt's to two gentlemen who were commodities brokers or, or options traders. They were best friends, by the way, when they bought the business. Um, this story will tell you not to buy a business with your best friend because after they, shortly after they opened, they split up, uh, had a bad falling out, and one of the guys left to open a place called Lefties with a slightly different recipe than Burt's, but you can imagine it's pretty similar um, with a fair amount of oil in the dough, caramelized edge, that Maillard reaction edge, uh, also known as a, as a Frico. A caramelized cheesy edge. Stuffed, uh, as I just mentioned, this is from Super Rosa, not from Giordano's, but you can certainly see put a lot. You've got to put a lot of uh, shredded mozzarella in there to get those luxurious cheese pulls for your Instagram feeds. Uh, but again, the sauce is sitting on top of that second layer of crust. I am not a fan of that, but that is certainly a Chicago born and bred style. Neapolitan. Very different style here, right? Very delicate, very uh, the sort of the leopard spotting around the cornicione, uh, baked for 90 seconds in a 900, give or take, uh, degree Fahrenheit oven. Always got to be wood burning. Uh, with the exception of Jonathan Goldsmith, uh, Jonathan Goldsmith up at Spacanopoli has started using an electric oven for his to-go pizzas because they bake a bit more evenly and they, they are more sturdy and more stable and they travel better. So he has kind of had to tweak his procedure a bit during the pandemic for his to-goes because, you know, these pies are awful carried out. I would never get a Neapolitan pizza to-go. They just disintegrate and deteriorate. But um, this is certainly another style we have here in spades. There's that Sicilian, again, I talked about from Pizza Friendly Pizza, five-day ferment uh, done in a rectangular sheet pan with a fair amount of oil in the dough. Here's a bakery-style slice, kind of a, a descendant of Sicilian from D'Amato's, uh, the owner, uh, Rosanna, when I showed her this picture for, for just her approval, she smiled and she said, yeah, it looks juicy. She Juicy was a good word for her in terms of referring to a slice of pizza. So D'Amato's been around since 1950. Uh, their coal oven was from 1912. 
And so this is a really old style, but it's not as firm as I would like it. I wish it was a little bit, I wish they would take this out of the pan, throw it directly onto the hearth of the coal oven and just finish it for two or three minutes like you might in New York by finishing a slice on the hearth of the oven because that I think would give it that crispness and that textural contrast that would make it a little bit more interesting to chew. But also bakery slices you see on the Northwest side, places like Cecilia Bakery uh, up on Lawrence or Sicilian Bakery up on Cumberland. Um, Detroit style, again, a descendant of Sicilian, baked in a rectangular pan, started at a place called Buddy's in 1946 in Hamtramck. I'm convinced that Burt Katz saw this style of pizza somewhere between 46 and 71 and instituted that sort of cheesy edge, that crispy frico around the perimeter. This picture is from Pauly G's Logan Square, a pizza style that uh, the owner there, Derek, instituted after he'd opened up Pauly G's, which is mainly known for doing wood-fired sort of neo-Neapolitan style pizzas. But Derek had gone to Detroit and fallen in love with this style. It's more like a focaccia. You see the open crumb there on the outside. It's beautiful. Crispy underneath, always served on a cooling rack. And then he finishes this, his, his U.S. pizza cup version he's got here with the fresh ricotta, a little bacon jam underneath the white cheddar, fresh chiffon out of basil, and a little bit of Mike's hot honey uh, to, to finish it off. Uh, Roman. Now, you've got three types of Roman in Chicago. You've got the Pizzeria Via Stato with their tavern style thin on the top. Notice they serve it on a pan that has holes underneath it because that mimics that sort of putting it on a cooling rack. You get airflow underneath so that the bottom stays somewhat crispy. Uh, you've got Pizza Al Metro by the meter at Bar Cargo on the bottom there. That's literally a meter long pizza with a three-day minimum ferment uh, baked in a Castelli hand-built stone deck oven. And then on the far left side, the Bonchi, the Roman Altaglia, which is by the cut. And so you tell them how much you want in the pan behind the deli case. They cut it with scissors, they weigh it, you pay by the pound. Uh, But Roman very much uh, in, in force here in Chicago. Artisan style. By artisan, I just mean three things. Long fermentation, like like a great sourdough. Um, lots of hydration, lots of water in the dough. So set 68% or more water by volume. And then toppings. I mean, someone who takes the goes to the extra effort to actually roast mushrooms ahead of time because when you put raw mushrooms on a pizza, folks, what happens? You get a watery pizza. There's a lot of moisture that comes out of that. Same thing with green peppers, same thing with onions. When I go to a pizza place, if I get a mushroom pie, I will ask the server to go find out if they roast or saute the mushrooms ahead of time because I want all that moisture drawn out ahead of time and I want them to put that cooked mushroom on the pie and then bake it with it. So you just get the essence and the flavor of the mushroom, not all the water. Um, So it's more of a chef's approach to pizza when I say artisan, really a baker's approach to pizza. And look at that crumb structure. It's just gorgeous from Middle Brow Bungalow in Logan Square. New York style slices. Yes, we have slices. You're not really going to walk around in the wintertime with one of these, but the left side, you've got uh, Jimmy's Pizza Cafe uh, up on uh, Montrose and Campbell. uh, And you've got the cup and char pepperoni with the natural casing. So those cup, they curl up as they bake. You get a little grease chalice in the middle, uh, but you get the, in Detroit, they call it curl and crisp or they call it cup and char. And then on the right side, you've got Kraft Pizza in Wicker Park, also trying to emulate that New York style slice that you can pick up, fold with three fingers, and then summarily eat in about eight bites. Okay, maybe 11 styles, right? Because I didn't talk about thin. And I do think thin is a style. You know, it's not Chicago thin, and it's certainly not deep dish. So what is it? It's thin. It's got this pronounced uh, heel on the edge. 
burnished brown uh, from, again, this is a from crushed on Montrose, uh, minimum two-day fermentation time to really develop the character, to really also relax the gluten structure. When you have a pie that's fermented for two or three days, the, the gluten really has time to relax. It gives the time for the yeast to eat the sugars to create carbon dioxide in this dough and give it a little bit of lift. And that it's, it's what gives you that structure. So you can pick up this pizza, you can pick up a slice. It's not going to flop. There's no tip sag. You can fold it in half and hold its shape, which I think is really important um, with any, any pizza. And then this, this last pizza here I wanted to show you is a Detroit style from a, a bar that also pivoted. It's called City's Edge Bar up on um, Devon Avenue in Edge, Edgebrook. You get a lot of cops and firefighters who live up there. And it was an Irish bar before the pandemic. They had a smoker. They were doing barbecue. And then he saw all these places doing Detroit style, like Pauly G's. And he's like, I'm going to try to do this. Took him a long time. It did not, they did not get it right the first couple. I visited early. It was not very good. But he got it right. And here he's got a Chicago-style Italian beef pizza. So there's Italian roast beef and jardinera with the, so the stripes of sauce on that pie with the mozzarella. And you get that caramelized, cheesy edge. It is it's a really beautiful contrast of textures, not just the flavors. So the other interesting thing about these pizzas is there's a lot of textural components going on. There's a crispy undercarriage, there's a soft middle, there's a cheesy, crispy edge. You know, it's just, it's a lot more than just a soft bite or a soft chew, or some would say a tavern style thin is kind of a one note experience because it's, you know, it's, it's crispy. It's like eating a cracker or a saltine. If you go to Barnaby's or Pat's on the North side, uh, you're having a tavern thin pizza that's crispy and that's fine and that's pleasant. But I like these pizzas, like these Romans and these Detroits that have a lot more going, going on with them. So that's kind of my, my presentation. And I know you all must have questions. So I figured we could open up for questions and talk pizza. And I'm happy to talk about other cities too, because I've eaten pizzas pretty much all over the country at this point, And I can speak somewhat eloquent, eloquently about New Haven and New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Detroit. So, and Portland and Seattle. So happy to, to take your questions. Catherine, do you want to field them or should I look at the chat? Yeah, they're there. Most at the moment is mostly um, comments. Okay. okay. Um, I just, I just want to interject. This is Scott for a second, mm -hmm. Steve, um, about your book. Of any recommendations if people want to order the book? At what any best ways they can order it? Or your yeah, book? The, the, I, I hate to promote a big uh, corporate behemoth, but I think Amazon is going to be the only way to get a copy right now because unless you come to one of my book events, I'm doing a book event up at the you know, Ravinia Green Country Club on Friday, which is open to the public. I'm doing an event next Wednesday uh, at Luisa's Pizza in Crestwood. Uh, and we'll have plenty of books to sell and sign there. But if you want to just get a book mailed to you, Amazon does have the book. Great. And, and you have recipes in the book, right? Recipes for all the, the main Chicago pizza styles, including a style that I come up with called Stevie's Squares that I, I kind of worked on during the pandemic. It's kind of a hybrid of a sort of a Midwestern Detroit style Sicilian. It's got a lot of cornmeal and corn flour and corn oil in it. And it's, but it's a, it's a par bake in a, in a Detroit style rectangular pan. And I can wrap the par bake crust in, in Saran and freeze it and then bring it out the day that I want to make a pizza. And one thing that I do not like about your talk tonight, and I know you can take criticism that we don't have pizza to eat right now because I think we're all starving and folks one day 
post-pandemic, we'll all meet again at a live meeting. And, and if Steve has another book out, maybe he can come and we can serve pizza. And one final thing I want to give, I know you recognized Elizabeth Ando, who's here from in our program tonight from Japan. Hi, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth. I just is, unmute myself quickly to say konnichiwa. It is uh, almost 11 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. So for me, it's not a great stay up until it's late. Uh, thank you. And one day post-pandemic, I'll be back on an airplane and visiting America. And you'll be coming to Tokyo to do a thing on Tokyo Pizza. Hope so. Yes, I'm still I'm still in touch with uh, Robbie Swinnerton and uh, Yukari okay. Sakamoto there. And so they keep me informed of what's going on. I know a lot of the pizzas in Tokyo tend to be the, the wood fire, the neo-Neapolitan. Um, I'm not... Yeah, so I'm not sure if they're really getting into the Sicilians and the, the the Chicago styles, but I know the wood fire is very popular in Asia. Yeah, let's hope for a non-pandemic day soon. Thank and you, absolutely, Hallelujah. Elizabeth. Uh, I think you're you're coming in from Tokyo. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm in Tokyo. <laughs> yes, and Elizabeth is one of uh, one of the most distinguished. Uh, cookbook authors when it comes to Japanese cuisine, uh, one of the most award, <laughs> award-winning award authors. And Elizabeth, you're married to a Japanese man, but you're from New York. And uh, yes, so uh, oh, anyway, wow. so welcome, welcome. It's so good to Thank see you. you again. Okay. okay. And Steve uh, and, and Kathy, if you want to take it away with the sure. questions. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, uh, Sherry asks, please describe how Los Angeles pizza differs. They don't really have a style per se in LA. They're, it's kind of an amalgamation, but there's, for example, there is a Joe's on Sunset that does New York style slices. There is a great place um, in the Miracle Mile on Wilshire called Apollonia's. That's kind of a Sicilian Detroit, but you know, he calls it a, a sort of a Monterey Park inspired. That's where the owner is from. Uh, there's, I would say there's artisan pies there, you know, certainly Nancy Silverton at Pizzeria Moza, one of the you know, the original, the OGs in terms of artisan style pizza before Chris Bianco, certainly in Phoenix. Um, and she has a place called Triple Beam also that was kind of doing Roman style. So they're also experimenting a bit there, but nowhere near the pizza landscape that you know, we have in the Midwest or on the East Coast. But certainly the pizzas they're doing are more akin to what you'd find in Portland, Oregon. Definitely from a baker's perspective first, and then the toppings come later. They wouldn't do nearly as, as much sausage as we would in the Midwest for sure. Uh, Susan inquires, how about Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder Company? Yeah, how about it? <laughs> Not a fan. Um, I don't I don't get it, to be honest with you. I, I went there for my first book and I tried it. And it's. I would say it's not pizza. I would say it's melted cheese in a bread bowl. Um, I, I respect the history. I respect the building. I respect longevity, certainly. But it's one of those places, just because it's been around a long time, doesn't mean it's the best uh, in its class. And so, yeah. So that's what I think about that. What's your favorite New York City pizza? Tough one. I don't know if that's um, Chicago I, or in New York I, City, but. I was uh, in New York City. I would say La Industry in Williamsburg and Best Pizza, also in Williamsburg, are two amazing pizzerias. Uh, in Manhattan, Sophia Pizza Shop on the Upper East Side, just north of the UN. Eden said, Hi from Seattle. I'd love to hear your opinion about. Are as in Seattle pizza. Well, you've got Windy City Pie and Breezy Town Pizza there, both owned by Dave Lichterman, um, 
nice Jewish boy from Highland Park. Although he went to Oscar Mayer School in the city, and then he moved to Highland Park uh, in high school. Uh, worked for Amazon for a number of years. Um, studied computer science at, at Illinois, and decided to chuck it all and open a pizzeria. And Breezy Town and Windy City are fantastic pizza places out there. Uh, there's also a place called My Friend Derek's. He's doing a Detroit-style pizza out of his apartment that you have to order ahead of time on his Instagram, uh, which is a very good pizza. Um, and uh, there's another place in in one of the actual Amazon domes downtown. Uh, I forgot the name of it. Uh, I went there for lunch. They have a kind of a Roman-style pizza. So, again, it's kind of all over the place. There isn't really one predominant style, but it's interesting to see these little places popping up. But um, the, the Windy City Pie is really an homage to Burt's and Lou Malnati's, with a, but with a caramelized cheese edge. Um, Doug says, have you ever encountered historic Chicago pizza families who serve pizza in speakeasies during Prohibition? No, but from what I understand, Home Run Inn and, and Vito and Nick certainly are in that sort of sweet spot era. And so while I haven't, I don't have firsthand um, testimony from anybody, those would be the likely places. Uh, I mean, Granados was around in the late 20s uh, on Taylor Street. There's nobody really surviving from that family. Pompeii has been around a long time on Taylor Street. Uh, but I just, I don't have it on, on um, good authority that it was being served in the speakeasies or, or that specific families. But I, I'm certain it was. Does anyone in Chicago do St. Louis style pizza with Provel? No one does it here. Um, I wish someone did. I, I, I think that the crust is the problem at Emo's, not the cheese. I like Provel, actually. I'm one of the few that do. Provel, for those of you who don't know, is technically not a cheese recognized by the USDA. It's a combination of Swiss, mozzarella, and provolone. Um, it was created, I don't know, by Frankenstein, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it was created as a way to kind of attract people, kind of a something besides the arch there. And uh, it's served on a very thin dough, thin, uh, crispy crust, which I don't necessarily care for. Uh, I've been to Emo's, uh, the mothership uh, near the the, the the Children's Museum downtown. Um, but I think I think it's got potential, but just nothing here. That is, I've never seen it in Chicago. Uh, Steve says a place in Tokyo serving Chicago style deep dish pizza is Devil Craft, also a beer bar in Kanda. He says, I can show you on a map where it is. I've eaten there. I feel it would pass in Chicago. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's a statement. Elizabeth, Elizabeth has to check that out for us for sure. Right. And she can report back. If, when I get back on public transportation, we're under not a lockdown, but under serious stuff again and our borders have been closed to people coming from america so uh when transportation permits i will head my way to kanda let Good. you know okay and uh steve but, can send me the information and i'll forward it to everybody by the way one more manhattan pizzeria because veronica will appreciate this is scars on the lower east side um and then of course joe's on carmine in the village those are other really good new york style slices uh, Veronica says she might have missed this. Did you say which Chicago pizza is your number one pick? There is no such thing in Chicago as my number one. I have um, favorites in um, – that's funny you're putting up that map. I have favorites in different category styles. Like uh, Robert's is certainly my favorite artisan. Um, my pie and Labriola, depending on who's having a better day, is my favorite deep dish. Uh, you know, it depends. But there, isn't, there is no one ring – sort of to rule them all. 
Uh, Jared said, have you ever had Old Forge Pennsylvania style pizza from a town no, near Scranton in Pennsylvania? I, I've read about it. I've talked to other pizza experts about it. I hear it's not a very good pizza. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's like white bread and cheese and weird sauce and not, I mean, sort of created to create a kind of a tourist attraction, but not because it was necessarily a great pizza, like in New Haven, for example. Um, by the way, uh, Steve, who's, who gave me the information about Chicago style pizza in Japan said that Shanky's is still around in Japan. That's amazing. Well, cause I've only seen it in California. There is one in Anaheim. Uh, it makes sense that it'd be on the West Coast, but I, I've seen it retreat from the Midwest. Pop in for a second. Um, back in the 1960s, <laughs> when I was first in Japan, and they were looking for gaijin foreigners to promote their pizza, um, I didn't make the cut because I don't have blonde. I now it's gray, but I never had blonde hair and blue eyes, so I never got hired to help promote their stuff. Hmm. Interesting. And apparently in the Philippines, Shakey's is there too. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I, you know, if I, if I see it again, I'm going to go get it because that is my childhood pizza. Those are my memories as a kid of going up on the stairs and looking through the glass and seeing them make the pizzas. I thought it was so fascinating. Um, and it is a thin pizza, which is kind of, you know, appropriate that I'm now in a city where thin pizza dominates. But when you tell people you're from Chicago and that thin is the most popular style of pizza, they think you're crazy. But I'm telling you, 25, 30% of the first book was all tavern style thin. Oh, for sure. Um, and uh, 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 Lucy Sanders commented that, by the way, going back to Burt's, they couldn't sell pizza at Burt's for three to five years after he sold to Pequod's. Right. Well, he sold, yeah, he opened up Burt's three years after he sold Pequod's. I think it was like 80, so 86 and 89 or something, but there was a three year gap there. But he still, he opened up like four blocks away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to, the first time I went to Birds, I went to Birds and then Pequod's. Just to, well, a to lot of people this. have been paying homage to Birds. Like when Rich Labriola did La Barra and wanted to redo Deep Dish, he was thinking about Birds, which is why it's got that, that cheese frico around the perimeter. Um, I mean, they definitely were, were doing a, a nod, a tip of the hat to Bert. Oh, yeah. No, no question. Um, I'm not quite sure what this means, but I'll mention it anyway. An interview with Glenn Shabazz of Ithaca is in Rich Bowen's and Dick Fay's Hot Dog Chicago from 1983. Yeah, so I've got the, the, the Shabazz family. That's the story about um, the Pizza Puff. And let me see if I can just pull it up here real quickly. Um, it was so interesting. I talked to the family and then their, their office, their warehouse has not moved. I live about three blocks away here in Westtown from it. Um, anyway, I can't find it, but um, there's a great story in here about them. Okay. And somebody said, uh, what about thin crispy cracker crusts? Yeah. I mean, a, a, any good Chicago tavern thin, you know, Pat's um, pizza, uh, pizza fried chicken ice cream in Bridgeport is doing one of the best crispy tavern thin pizzas in Chicago right now. Uh, highly recommend you try the pizza there. Uh, but, you know, to some extent, Barnaby's, to some extent, Home Run Inn, Triano's, Phil's, um, even BG's up on uh, West Irving Park. Um, Lucy, again, she, Lucy Sanders said her dad was Bert's wait waiter from 1973 until his death. 
Um, mm. Even after the gap, there was a period where he was serving Italian beef and pasta and other stuff. He made a good beef, almost said it went away after he was able to make pizza again. Mm. Who knew? Bert, the master of all things. Um, have you heard of, I know we have, have you heard of Quad City style pizza, Roots yeah. and Lawrence in Lincoln Square? I, I lived in the Quad Cities for a year before I moved to Chicago in 92. I was a news reporter for two of the TV stations there. So I'm very familiar with Quad Cities. Um, Roots, uh, they are doing that style here. Uh, it's got more malt in the dough and they cut it with scissors one way and then they cut it um, crossways into these strips, which is not a, a great way to eat a pizza. Um, unless there's a lot of integrity because it's pretty floppy. So I did include them in the first book, but not in the second one. I had not a very good experience at the printer's row location. Oh, that's too bad. And by the way, there is a uh, John's Pizza in Northwest Indiana serves that same style cut in the middle and then all the lateral cuts, hmm. but not exactly quad style perhaps. I think there's no more questions. You beat the clock. It's eight o'clock, just like you wanted it. You know, I, I figure an hour is enough for people's most, uh, attention spans, you, typically. I mean, I can't talk about pizza that long. Ah, uh, but so you won't go head to head with Peter Regas. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to beat Peter ever. Oh, he's got the record. <laughs> but you know what? He has so much information to share. It's, it's nice to get it on record. Uh, there is one more question. Are there unique yeah. or noteworthy pizza by neighborhood, region, northwest side, southwest side, west side in Chicago? It's a big question. Are there unique or noteworthy pizzas by I neighborhood? I mean, regional. I mean, they're all over the, I mean, I've got 102 places in here. There are, uh, I would say there's probably more in sort of the near Sort of near south, near north, northwest side. Logan Square has a lot of good pizza. Um, Avondale has some pizza. You know, there's good stuff on the south side. I, I, I don't know. I, um, I don't know if that really answer your question. Um, Logan Square has got a lot of good pizza. Logan Square has got Boiler Room, Pizza Lobo, Reno, Polly G's Logan Square, and a father and son to top that. You can't. Scott, say adieu to our visitor tonight. Steve, thank you so much. And I think everybody who's watching tonight can see why Steve wins so many James Beard Awards. Steve, are have you won the most James Beard Awards of the James Beard Award winners? No. Alan Richmond has about two or three more than I do. Yeah, so you're number two as far as James Beard two. Award winners. Again, we are... We are honored to have you, and we hope to have you again. And I, if I could nominate you for James Beard Award for your program tonight, I would. So thank you again, and uh, just keep on doing what you're doing. And good night. Uh, uh, I will say arigato gozaimasu. Thank you. Good night. Good Thanks, night. everybody. Take care.